Hello, Gorge. How are you this morning? Hello, lovely. I am. I'm here. I'm happy to see your face, as always, as Likewise. I've been saying for the last three weeks. This is the thing I look forward to most in my weeks is getting to see you Likewise. and talk to you. Because the rest of it's kind of just like bullshit work and nonsense and like chores. Same. Yep. No one really told me like how much adulting would just be like me having to do chores constantly and just like nonstop to-do lists. Oh, yeah. So I just like don't do them. My apartment looks insane. Yeah. I was like, I'm kind of <laughs> over it. We could stop with that any anytime now. Anytime we want to just like stop that being a thing, that would be great. Cool. Yeah. If we could just be millionaires and hire people to do it. I'd be all the fuck about it. Can Amazon not, like, design a, a bot that just, like, cleans my whole house? I know it'll, like, have Alexa on it and be listening to me constantly, but, like, at least make it do something. Come on. It's worth the trade-off, I think. Right? They're yeah. gonna do it anyway. Like, at least I don't have to clean my fucking house. Totally. Anyway, how's your week going, lovely? It's going well. Uh, it's the most wonderful <laughs> time of the year. It's October, babies! <laughs> fuck yeah. Um, it's the best. I, I mean, I, it's already cold. It's like in the 50s today. It's I'm fucking freezing my tits off. Beautiful, though. Like sunny with a breeze. It is. Like all my windows are open. It's a fucking mm, so nice. Yeah. I mean, yes, I see you, uh, but I'm miserable. <laughs> but also, I'm wearing a fleece onesie right now. Thanks. Yes. I'm wearing a free, my fleece skeleton onesie. And she looks adorable. Thank you. Which is not specific to the month of October. I wear it all of the time. No. Yeah. Because I'm a fucking psycho. Uh, I went to, to Starbucks this morning and I was like, fuck it. I'm wearing the fleece onesie. <gasps> so cold. Don't give a fuck. I love you so much for that. Like that is fucking baller move. If I ever fucking heard one. I like And people are like in jean jackets and shit. <laughs> no, fuck them. Fuck them. I'd be like, if I saw you I'm in so Starbucks, I'd you. be like, hi, I'm sorry. What are you doing for the rest of your life? Like, are you going to marry me? Like, I'm sorry. Am I looking at you in a fleece skeleton onesie? Oh, my God. Yes. Yeah. I'm like, this is what's happening. Uh, no, and people are like, you know, wearing like vests and jean jackets. And I'm like, are you not aware it's fucking freezing outside? What the fuck? <laughs> I, I've learned that no one's as cold as we are. <laughs> We're 10 times colder yeah. than anyone else ever is. Yeah. Um, Miami babies for sure. Oh yeah, and I have to remind myself that it's only going to get colder. It's not even really that cold yet. So I don't even want to think about it. I know that's I just the point of the year when I just literally I just stop going outside. People are like, "Do you want to do stuff?" And I'm like, "In my apartment, yes, thank you." <laughs> that's when I give up. I stop wearing makeup. <laughs> yes, yes, I hibernate. No bras, like because no, the coat, absolutely not. Coat covers everything for sure. Yeah, I have like 40 sweaters on. I look like a homeless person. It's like I don't care. Yep. Barely showering because no one smells you yeah. or gets near you. So, although yeah. incidentally, that is when I get hit on the most. It always is. It's always when, when look you look like worst. trash, and you're like, literally, what is wrong with you? They're like, hey, what's up? What's up? How you like, doing? Do you have eyes right now? <laughs> <laughs> also, I have. I'm questioning your choices. I'm sorry. Literally, I was like as flattered as I am by this. Deeply, what is up with you? Yeah, what's up? Um. I will say that the very the most exciting thing of my week, uh, which is the recommendation essentially of the year, is oh tell me Midnight Mass dropped on Friday, 
I it's saw her post about that. Fucking incredible. Is it? It's fucking phenomenal. Yeah, absolutely. It's the same writer director of Haunting of Hill House. <gasps> Ooh. Um, okay. Yeah. Sold, first of all. Absolutely. And honestly, say no more, but also tell me more. Oh my God. It's so fucking good. Uh, I'm a huge fan of horror, uh, which is probably evidenced by the fact that I have this podcast and my general life choices and the onesie and, and, you're onesie wearing, yeah. and everything uh <laughs> just the way i live my day-to-day life uh but i think a lot of horror is really bad because Agreed. it focuses on the kills and the gore and and it doesn't take any time to develop the character so when these things are happening to them you don't really give a fuck yeah and being that uh the infj the the f the feeling uh part of that for me i very much need to care uh, and have a connection with the person or the character. Uh, and Mike Flanagan, uh, who wrote and directed Midnight Mass, and he directed every episode, seven episodes. Damn. He So it's a bit of a slow burn initially because the first two episodes are very much establishing the world that this is, establishing the characters, getting into their backstories, like who these people are, so that when shit starts happening, you give a shit. And... Something that's I really love about his work is it's always these very human stories that just so happen to have this like supernatural or this like horror element to it. Like that's something that I love. Favorite, yeah. That's something that I love so much about Haunting of Hill House was it's a very intense family drama, and there also happens to be a haunted house in it. Yes, you know, and. Midnight Mass is just, it's fucking phenomenal. It's the first horror thing that I've watched that I've loved as much as Haunting of Hill House. And I might actually like it more. It's very neck and neck Damn. for me. It's fucking, it's uh, phenomenal. That's a great pun. Yeah. I don't know if you realized, but that was a good pun. I didn't. Yeah. I did not. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Break neck woman. Okay. Yeah. Oh, God. So good. Uh, it's, it's so good. I, it's so good. And it's just, it's a work of art and it's the type of art, like I aspire to make, you know, it's, I, I, even if you're not really that into horror, which if you're not, I don't know why you're listening to this podcast. Weird. Um, yeah. Out of character for you. Yeah. It's, <laughs> it's just, it's a fucking beautiful work of art. Um, and it's, wow. And I, I love something that can scare you and also make you cry at how beautiful or emotional a scene is. Damn. Um, yeah, it's I cannot rec- I literally I have I barely have time to sleep and I gave up 3 hours of sleep <gasps> to finish watching. I was like I'm going to finish this tomorrow and I was like no I can't. To finish watching it and then I've started rewatching it again because I'm like okay, now that I know everything, what are the like where are the setups? Yeah. You know, because good good films and good TV shows like the things that come out of hints. nowhere yeah. don't come out of nowhere if they're good. So it's yes. already like in episode one, it's like, oh, there it is. There's the setups. Okay. Like, all right. Know. My recommendation also don't read anything about it. Don't read anything. Okay. Don't, don't have anything spoiled for you. Go into it cold. Like if you're good, if you want anything, watch the trailer because the trailer doesn't give anything away other than you're okay. like, what the fuck's happening? And even the first two episodes are like, what the fuck is happening here? And then it, Finally, like in episode three, you're like, wait, what the fuck? And then it just kind of, you know, goes into, and it's just incredible. It's incredible. I like cannot 
say enough good things, cannot recommend it enough. It's a fucking work of art. It's amazing. You've sold me on this so hard right now. Mm-hmm. And I am now like thinking like, okay, I could I could forego a few hours of sleep yeah. for this. Yeah. It's seven hours Shit. total. Seven episodes, an hour each. Okay. Perfect okay. for the start of spooky season. <gasps> I love it. It's fucking, it's incredible. It's, it's Fuck. one of those that I'm going to, like people are going to like write like dissertations and shit on this. Really? Yeah. All right. I might have to bump this up at the top of my like mental queue because I feel like next in line was uh, only murders in the building, but I feel yeah. like this might have to surpass that. One of the only reasons why I'd say it should is because I feel like time is ticking on the spoilers. Ooh, yeah. Someone's going to say some shit to me. Yeah. And I'll be like, fuck you. Like when I, I posted about it on the gram, I, I removed the comments because I'm like some fucking person is going to say something and I don't want it spoiled for everyone. Yes. So, yes. Yeah. Everyone always says something. But if, if you have seen it and you want to DM me and chat about it, oh my God, I'm so here for it. <laughs> I'm flipping so the fuck out. Yeah. fucking here to talk about this fucking show. Oh shit. Okay. Yeah. Well, fuck. That sounds amazing. Yeah. I'm going to have to watch it because I want to I wanna gossip with you about oh it. Oh my God. I feel like it's been honestly been a while since we like gabbed about a yeah, show. Yeah, it has been. We've like watched like alternate shows yes. like, that the other hasn't watched. We've been kind of like doing our own thing. And yeah. then e- there hasn't just like been a show that's like united us. Like Mare of Easttown, honestly, I feel like it was like the last show we watched I think kind so. of. so. Which like, it's been a fucking hot minute. Which they won like every fucking Emmy. Oh, and then yeah. Ted Lasso. Fuck yeah. I mean, not surprised. So Congratulations deserved. all around. Yeah. I was listening um, <laughs> because after I watched uh, Midnight Mass and my – a very obsessive personality. I was like, I need to read everything I can about this and every interview. And so I was listening to a podcast um, where they had Mike Flanagan on uh, to like discuss spoiler free things about the show. And the podcast started with uh, the people talking about the Emmy wins and that, and one guy was like, I think it's fucked up that neither the guy who plays Roy Kent or Beard won best supporting for the Emmys. It was Evan Peters who played Zabel. Yes. And he's like, well, I didn't watch Mayor of Easttown. And I was like, then fuck you. I'm sorry. Then, yeah. Like, okay. that drunk scene was incredible. Like, literally, yes. you watch it and you're like, give him the fucking Emmy. I don't even yeah. need to watch the rest of this. And I love me some Ted Lasso, but it was like, no, that performance was fucking star making. It was fucking incredible. Yeah. That was on another level, honestly. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. But again, love love Ted Lasso. I fucking have a believe sign over my door because I'm a fucking. I know you showed me. I, that's the cutest thing ever. I don't think there's anything. And you said it came with like a little army man. Yeah, it's a little, the so little toy cute. soldier. Yeah, so cute. Yeah, I was like, I think that's the cutest thing ever. I love it. I, I'm someone uh, that I like. Um, like people get like tattoos for reminders of shit. I like physical, tangible things. To remind me of stuff. Because also, like, I feel, for me personally, tattoos are just way too permanent in that if I had gotten a tattoo when I was, like, 18, for instance, odds are it would have been a quote because I love a quote. And the thing is, I am not remotely who I was at 18. Yeah. And I feel like if someone looked at that, they might be like, oh, God, you're, like, so fucking emo and shit. And it's just not (laughs) indicative of who I am and all the work I've done, you know, in the time since. But I like having like, you know, maybe like a piece of jewelry or like a sign or something that just reminds me of whatever it is or gives me like a little strength or a little something that's a thing that I need in that moment, you know? Yeah, I like that. So my belief sign, got my belief sign. 
Yeah, that's perfect. I'm kind of the same way, even with just like day to day things like remembering stuff. I like have to write like a yeah. physical to do list mm-hmm. and like post it's. I don't really use them that much anymore, but it used to be my fucking jam, like all over the mirrors, all over like my wall, like lamps. Like, so the first thing I would see when I woke up was like, literally. Yep. Girl. <laughs> I just showed her a post it that I have. <laughs> I have post it's everywhere. Post it's. Yeah. Necessary. Very Absolutely. necessary. Yeah. I mean, there's also been studies that, um, you remember things more when you like physically write, write them, them as opposed to typing them. Definitely. I genuinely believe that because I use the reminders app on my phone too, which helps obviously if I like can't get my notebook out or whatever bullshit. Right. But like I remember them far less if I just type them into my phone than if I actually physically write them. Yeah. That's actually how I memorize lines is writing them. Really? Over and over. Yep. Mm-hmm. Damn. Yep. That's intense. Yeah. And I would, I used to go to my bar and I would, and that's how I'd memorize lines is because I can't do it in a quiet place. Huh. I need to have you like- You almost need like that white noise of like yeah. people and yeah, things in the background. Exactly. Which of course men would take as an invitation to talk to me. I'm clearly there <laughs> with your, to talk to people and not do fucking yes, work. Yes. With your prop book or whatever you've got to, yeah, you know- Yeah, my script and like all these- To ensnare the speak. men of the bar that clearly you're there clearly. trolling for. it. Yeah. And they'd be like, oh, are you a writer? I'm like, no, <laughs> I also don't want to talk to you. I'm doing work. In case that wasn't abundantly clear by the sea of paper yeah. <laughs> that I'm writing on. And like at like a bar at like 10 p.m. I'm not like, this isn't a, a prop to like no, get attention. No, like I brought like I a file folder with me. Like I'm clearly doing some business here. Thanks. Yes. I've taken over the corner of the bar with my bullshit. That's really interesting. That would not occur to me to memorize lines that way because it's like so, yeah. so laborious. Ugh. It is, but it's the quickest that I have learned. And the, and it sticks in there when you're yeah. able to write it down. Yeah. Fascinating. The more you know. The more you know. Yeah. Um. Well, I'm also glad I didn't get a tattoo at 18 because I would have like an anime transmutation circle <laughs> and it would not be classy. <laughs> I it mean, would be super embarrassing, and I would really hate having to explain to people constantly of my high school obsession with the show Full Metal Alchemist. Yes. So I'm very happy I chose not to do that. And yeah. I. <laughs> You've all seen the shitty tattoos. If you're like, dude, what the fuck? There literally used to be a website that I. I want to say it was called Ugly Tattoos. And anytime I like got a whim where I was like, I think I want a tattoo, I would spend an yep. hour. I would literally like set a timer and let myself look at the website for an hour. And after an hour, I'd be like, I'm good. I'm I'm okay with this. Thank you. Yeah. There was a, a guy that I had a flirtation with that he had a matching tattoo with like his ex-girlfriend. Oh, And ooh, the never, matching tattoo, it was terrible. It was huge. Oh. It was his entire like left pectoral area. And it was a huge yin yang sign that was on fire. Oh, oh it my was so god. bad. Like, when did you draw this in your middle school notebook? Get literally. Out of here. Oh my god, it was so bad. Oh, oh, so bad. You know, and there's this guy I know who um, he has several tattoos, but the first of which was a Chinese character on his back. And I was, I was like, what does that mean? He's like, it means unity. I'm like. What do you think it actually means? Because there's yeah. no way that's what the fuck it means. No, they did not put that on you. Did you look it up afterwards? Yeah. No, they put like asshole or some shit on your back. Yeah. And you yeah. don't even fucking know because you're from Ohio. Yep. <laughs> and you were like, let me get a Chinese character yeah. on my back. Cool. God. Um, I mean, if you have tattoos, that's great. I hope you love them. I just don't have that kind of a commitment 
to anything, really. <laughs> yeah. I actually had a really good idea for a tattoo that made me rethink my idea of getting tattoos this late in life. Yeah. Which was, I think it would be really cute to just have like a very little teeny minimalist outline of a little UFO. <laughs> I mean, I think you do need that, actually. Is that not the like most perfect cute idea? I mean, I kind of yes. want it to be like abducting a little person too, obviously, because it's me. Or a cow. I would, I would talk with a cow. Oh, for sure. No, I mean, if you ever got a tattoo, it would have to be that. And I would fully support that. It was one of those things that like occurred to me randomly like a few weeks ago. And I was like, how has this never occurred to me before now? I was like, that's like right up my alley. It's super cute. It's very small. You yeah. can hide it easily. I mean, so, yeah. there's one that I've thought about that's, uh, it would be like very small and one in a place that basically like wouldn't be noticeable. Like there's this Judah and the Lion song that's called 7,000, like 7,000 times. Okay. And it's about like, you know, getting knocked down 7,000 times, but you, you like keep getting back up and whatever. So like, it was one of those of like writing like 7,000 X, like on the side of my foot, like very small, okay. but it's also like, why? I also yeah, don't do you need, need that. that. Yeah. No. <laughs> <You know? laughs> I'll just remind myself. Exactly. Just when you're like, <laughs> about whatever bullshit. Just be like, yeah, just get back up. You always do. It's fine. Take your moment to sob it out and then just get the fuck back up and go on with your day and be a boss bitch self. Amen. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Words to live by. Right? Fuck yeah. On that note, yeah. do you want to get us started? Wait, first you want to introduce the podcast. Oh yeah, that'd be a great idea. Yeah. Okay, cool. That's right. Guys. I don't know if we still wanted to continue doing that. We can fucking nix it if you want. We can do whatever the fuck we want, Monique. I don't know. Who knows? <laughs> We're not even drunk. I'm not even drinking. Not. I'm having a fucking frappuccino. That's where we're I'm at. I'm drinking water. It's real boring. It's a little early. It's like 10, 10 30 ish. So. Yeah. I mean, I've definitely had a gimlet earlier than this, but that's not what's that's happening very today. True. Uh, that's very true. This is another fucking horror podcast, kids. I'm Monique Sanchez. I'm Amy Traden. Welcome. Welcome. Uh, that probably wasn't abundantly clear with uh, all of the shit we were talking about leading up to it. <laughs> But if you know us, like you know us, then you're like, yeah, yeah that that makes sense. Yeah. Tattoos we thought about and ultimately decided against the podcast. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's a long title. That's kind of catchy. I'm going to give it to you. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I think so. It'll look great on a oh, hat. Yeah. It'll look great on tattoo, Monique. <laughs> Let's do this. Hey, there you go. Boom. So you're our spooky paranormal story of the week, lady. I sure fucking am. What the fuck you got for me? Guys. We're like leading up to Halloween season, so I feel like... We're leading up to Halloween season, and for those of you who may not know, Halloween is the year that we dropped our first episode. It was. I know. This is like hitting me now, basically, that I'm like, we're coming up on a year here. Yeah. We've been doing this for a year. That's wild. So because of that, I thought it was only right to take it back to the OG celebrity ghost stories. (laughs) Fuck yes. Yes. It's been a minute. So, and I had completely forgotten about this story. And then I saw it again and I was like, fuck yeah, I love this story. So fucking excited. I'm so here for it. So we're going to talk about Debbie Gibson. Oh, okay. Do you remember this one? I don't remember the details, but I do remember liking hers a lot. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, sources, Wikipedia, and of course, Celebrity Ghost Stories. Debbie Gibson is an American singer, songwriter, pianist, record producer, and actress. If the name is familiar, it's because she was a huge pop star in the 80s. 
Her debut album, Out of the Blue, was released in 1987 and went triple platinum and spawned several international hits, including the song Foolish Beat, which made her the youngest female artist at 16 years old to write, produce, and perform a Billboard Hot 100 number one single. Damn! 16 fucking years old. Good for her. Fuck yeah. She was even listed in the Guinness Book of World Records for her achievement and remains the youngest woman to do so to this day. What? Which, fucking get it. I had no idea about any I had no idea. Good for you, Debbie Gibson. Dude, she's like a fucking queen and a bamf. I just knew her as like, oh yeah, that like 80s star. Not like, oh, I'm like actually a wonderkin. Like how (laughs) I'm not a wonderkin because I didn't go to college at 13. She actually is one. Two years later, she released her second album, Electric Youth, which went double platinum. That same year, Debbie Gibson was named Songwriter of the Year by the American Society of Composers, Authors, and Publishers, along with Bruce Springsteen. What? Holy She was 18 years old. So she hasn't even fucking graduated from high school yet, and she was tied for the same award with Bruce fucking Springsteen of, like, Fucking songwriter of the year. Fucking get it, girl. Like, talk about peaking early. Seriously. I'd be like, where the fuck do you even go from here? Right? Also worth noting that Debbie is the sole songwriter on all her singles to reach the top 20 in the Billboard Hot 100. So she's fucking nailing her shit. I am, like, super impressed. I did not realize Literally same. This. I'm sorry, Debbie. I, knew- I was not giving you enough credit. Clearly. Literally yes. fucking same. I thought I, I was super shit. I was like, I put her in the same like Tiffany yeah. ranks of like, all. no, like she's like legit capital A, capital F for sure. Damn girl, got it. Yeah. Fucking get it. While Debbie was born in Brooklyn, she grew up in Merrick, Long Island. And while she recalls that there wasn't much talk of the paranormal growing up in the suburbs, Debbie was always down to whip out that Ouija board and hold a seance with her friends because apparently... Debbie Gibson and I are the exact same person. Yes. Except she's a fucking wonderkind and I'm not. I'm just a fucking weirdo. <laughs> With the Ouija board, apparently. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like, everything else, I'm like, Debbie, we are the same fucking person. Call me. I'm obsessed with you. So she notes that while she and her friends didn't really take these seances seriously, they would do them as a joke to kind of freak each other out, but nobody really believed that any of the spirits were going to come through. Oh, that's how it starts. Yep. Mm, Girl. It's just a joke. That's what the fuck I'm saying. Ha ha ha. Spooky. Nope. Ha ha ha. You're moving it. No, you are. Stop. Ha ha ha. You know, that kind of (laughs) That's how we get a fucking, uh, like. Demon in your fucking house. Yes, a possession. I was going to say an infestation, but (laughs) that does not seem right. That's not the correct word. A demon infestation? I'm sure it feels like it. Possibly. Yeah. Oh, which by the way, um, those who were concerned about the bruise on my ass, I figured it out, uh. Mystery solved. What uh, it was it? Mystery solved. The uh, the bar that I work at, um, the kegs are like right underneath the taps. Yep. And the basically the door was open, and I had hit my my bum very hard on the corner. Did you do it again? And that's why you were like, oh yeah, that's where that came from. No, oh. I was mentioning it to a coworker, and I was like, I have no clue how the fu-, because it it was a really severe bruise, and I was like, I don't know how the fuck I got this. And he's like, maybe you hit the door, and then I opened the door. And, like, put myself against it. I'm like, oh, it's the exact same spot. Lines yeah, up perfectly. That's how that happened. <laughs> so it's not the, – the incubus is not back, guys. Woo! Okay. We're good. Good. I was very concerned. I say this as I record this underneath my Ouija board. <laughs> <laughs> You're a brave girl. 
I mean, it's tucked away. I don't. I've never played it in this house. The power I'll go to of Donna's. the Ouija board. You don't know. Yeah, Donna's like, bring the Ouija board. I'm like, sure, girl. Sure. I'll do this in your house. I'm not doing it in my house. Whatever you want, Donna. <laughs> <laughs> Donna, I love you. Um, so when Debbie was five or six, she became fascinated with Liberace. So I'm going to go into who Liberace is in case you don't know. But I just want to say I'm completely obsessed with the concept of a child being was obsessed with something wildly inappropriate for their age. That is very much on brand for Monique Sanchez. Right? I was like, why? Why was she super into him? Well, we'll get into it. And then I'm like, Debbie Gibson, we're the exact same person. Oh my God. So for those of you who don't know, Liberace was a pianist, singer, and actor. He was a child prodigy born in Wisconsin to Polish and Italian parents. He enjoyed a career spanning four decades of concerts, recordings, television, motion pictures, and endorsements. He famously added a candelabra to his act and was known for his flashy performing style and equally flashy attire, which always included luxurious capes. Incidentally, Liberace and his over-the-top outfits greatly influenced Elton John and his performing aesthetic, which when you see it, you're like, oh my God, totally, of course. At the height of his fame from the 1950s to 70s, he was the highest paid entertainer in the world with established concert residencies in Las Vegas, and an international touring schedule. His New York City performance at Madison Square Garden in 1954 earned him a record $138,000, which was the equivalent of $1.4 million today. Damn! For one fucking show. What? Fucking wild. That's crazy. He was mentioned as a sex symbol in the Cordette's 1954 number one hit, Mr. Sandman. By 1955, he was making $50,000 a week, or $500,000 in today's money at the Riviera Hotel and Casino in Las Vegas and had over 200 official fan clubs with a quarter of a million members. He was making over a million per year in public appearances, which is 10 million in today's money. Yeah. And that's just from his like concerts and public appearances because he was making even more millions from his like TV show and TV appearances. So this guy like making 10 million a year just in just in like his shows, like his touring shows and his residency. Like this guy's flushed in fucking cash. Seriously. He embraced a lifestyle of flamboyant excess both on and off stage, earning the nickname of Mr. Showmanship. Liberace was frequently covered by the major magazines and he became a pop culture superstar but he also became the butt of jokes by comedians and the public as he was suspected of being gay. Shocker, he was. <laughs> I was like, spoiler, in case you don't know. Spoiler, like, he was super gay. But because it was the 50s and we couldn't be cool and something like that would ruin his career, famous actresses like close friend Betty White were often used as a beard by his managers to counter public rumors of the musician's homosexuality. Betty! Oh my god! Yeah, she's like, oh yeah, he was totally gay. And like, I used to like go out on public dates with him and shit to like squash that shit. But that was the time, right? Yep. Fuck. But five-year-old Debbie Gibson was fucking here for it. She said, quote, Everything he did was bigger than life. His theatrics, his flamboyance, you know, capes that cost hundreds of thousands of dollars. There was just a magic to it. End quote. When she was seven years old, her grandparents took her to see Liberace in concert as a birthday present, which I'm fucking obsessed with. Those are some good grandparents. Yes. Yeah. And just grandparents who aren't like, why are you fucking weird? They're like, hey, man, this is what she's into. Yeah. They're like, you like what you like. Here you go. 
You can knock yourself out good. Exactly. She recalls, quote, I was the only freaky seven-year-old child in that audience. (laughs) (laughs) Damn straight you were. (laughs) And like, and she says all of this laughing. Like, she's very aware, like, what the actual fuck. Yeah. And I remember being this wide-eyed kid with a dream and being in awe of a fellow performer. He turned it into a spectacle when he played, and I just loved him, and I loved that about him. I was already performing at seven years old and knew not even, oh, that's what I want to do, but that's what I am. So I almost felt like he was a kindred spirit in some weird way, end quote. All of that I completely identify with. I'm like, yes, absolutely. Yeah. Like, I feel this way very much about Tim Burton of like, you're weird and I'm weird and you made it okay for me to be weird. Oh my God. And that's me from like three years old and my family being like, could you just be less all of this and like not wear the skeleton hoodies like in July? That would be great. Thank you. And you're like, no, no, by the way, I'm an adult. Thanks. I pay for my shit. I'll wear the goddamn skeleton hoodie that I paid for. Yeah. Okay. Thanks. Bye. She was the type of kid who would perform in her living room with different hats on and tambourines and the piano. And as a teen, she started writing music and recording when Liberace passed away from complications due to AIDS, although his family and manager fought to hide his cause of death. So it was listed as emphysema and coronary artery disease from years of chain smoking. When Debbie found out that her idol had died, she was very affected by it and recalls feeling a sadness about it. A short time later, Debbie was having a slumber party when she and her girlfriends decided to partake in the ultimate slumber party game, the Ouija board. So they're talking about who they want to contact. And Debbie says that she wants to contact Liberace. Fuck yeah. (laughs) And all of her friends are like, who? (laughs) Yeah, like, why? (laughs) And she tells them who he was and that he had died recently. So they start the seance and they're in the living room that has a piano in it. And it's pitch black with the exception of a few candles to set the spooky mood. Debbie, who's the one leading the seance, says, quote, Liberace, if you can hear me, I'm a big fan. Please come through send me a sign, end quote. After a few moments of silence, a couple of keys on the piano play. (gasps) Chills. I know. Oh my God. Debbie says, quote, almost as if something fell onto the piano keys, end quote. And because these are all teenage girls, they scream, they freak the fuck out. They're like, oh my God, did you hear that? What's happening? How did that happen? But uh, you know, it's a fucking slumber party with like 15 year old girls, 16 year old Uh girls. I'm not a teenage girl, and that would be my reaction still to this day. So, yes, correct. Exactly. Debbie says, quote, that was my first encounter with him. End quote. <gasps> dun, dun, dun. Oh, my God. I am so it's here It's so this. good. It's so good. I didn't even remember, like, most of it until I watched it again. I was like, oh, my God, this is so good. I can't handle it. Shortly thereafter, Debbie starts recording and making records, and her career takes off. Baldwin Pianos became the company that supplied Debbie with pianos for her recording studio and her tour. She was introduced to her artist rep from Baldwin named Myron Martin, who informed her that he used to be Liberace's artist rep for years and years. And not only that, but that he owned one of Liberace's all glass mirror pianos. So of course, Debbie freaks the fuck out because that's rad as fuck. And this piano, it's like, I'm sure it's gorgeous. It basically looks like a disco ball. Yeah. But it's a piano. So cool. It's fucking cool. And then at some point in their professional relationship, Myron says to her, I think my time with this piano is done. And Debbie says, quote, I put way more thought into purchasing apartments or homes. In terms of price, it was up there. 
I knew that I wanted to own it instantly, and I knew I'd never want to part with it. So I forked over my record royalties and bought this piano. End quote. Treat yourself. Yeah. Get fucking live your life. Get what yeah, you want. Yeah, she was like, literally, it was the same price as buying a home. And you were like, and, and like, I right. didn't even think twice about yeah. it. I was like, great. It's mine. Thank you. Like, bring it up. Cha-ching. Cash or check. Yeah. What are you taking? <laughs> and this wasn't one of Liberace's show pianos. This was in Liberace's apartment. So he spent countless hours playing it, and because of it, it has a very lived-in feeling about it. Debbie recalls, quote, The day the piano arrived at my apartment was thrilling. Having a piece of that performer with me and realizing my own dream as a performer all at one time, it was a magical thing. End quote. However, after she got the piano, she noticed that her cat, Gleason, started behaving a little strangely. He would always look at a spot over the piano right above the bench. And Debbie was convinced, girl, this is what the fuck I'm saying. Debbie was convinced that Gleason was always looking at somebody hovering over that piano. Yep. I mean, which if you've ever had animals, you see that sometimes there's a spot that they look at and you're like, what What are you looking at? And it's always like the same spot. Yep. What the fuck are you looking at? Yep. But anyone who's had pets, I'm sure you've had the experience of your animal just like looking not at anything, quote unquote, yeah. but it's like very clearly like focused on a thing that you can't see in a very specific spot. It's very unnerving. It is. It is. I'm always like, there's some, there's like a bug I can't see or something. They're just, yeah. Right. Uh, whatever I need to tell myself to not freak out. Exactly. Sometime later, Debbie got a call to do a TV show with a psychic medium who would contact people from the afterlife. So I was trying to find this. I think it's John Edward. Oh, okay. That would make sense, probably. It would make sense for the time period. He was a huge thing. Yeah. He had, like, his TV show and whatever. Um, But I couldn't find any footage of it. Okay. But I couldn't find any footage of this particular taping. Okay. Because she had gone on later, also. So she was like, I don't know who he's going to contact. You know, sure, I'll go. I I don't know who on the other side is going to talk to me, but sure, whatever. Fuck it, I'll go. So she's walking out, she's getting ready to do the taping, and as she's getting ready to walk out of her home, she heard something small fall on the floor. When she went to check it out, she saw that one of the mirrors had broken off the piano and fallen off. And she said she was a little spooked by it, which I'm kind of like, okay, I mean, I don't know if I would be, but also, like, I don't really know what the day-to-day is happening in her house, if there's, like, weird shit happening. Yeah. And she went over to the mirror, she picked it up, she put it in her purse, and headed to the TV studio. So Debbie was a mystery guest on the show. The psychic didn't know she was coming. And in the way they positioned her in the taping, she was seated behind the psychic and his back was to her. So he didn't even, he didn't see her. He didn't know who he was reading while he was actively reading her. Okay. It was like a blind read kind of. Exactly. Okay. Exactly. So she's getting her reading done. And all of a sudden the psychic stops mid-sentence and he says, quote, I'm getting something about a piano. Surely you couldn't have brought a piano with you, end quote. And she says, quote, actually, I did. I brought a piece of a very sentimental piano, end quote. That is wild. Okay. Oh, my God. I'm so fucking here for this. So the second goes on to say that he feels a very strong artistic presence coming through and proceeded to nail that it was Liberace and that he wanted to come through and communicate with Debbie. The message was, quote, Liberace is here. He's around you. He's watching over you and that piano, end quote. And Debbie definitely felt that Mr. Showman was around. 
like Liberace, Debbie was also classically trained. She said, quote, I tend to write songs that are simple, melodic, make musical sense. And one time I wrote a song on the piano. I started playing these chords and I was like, what's that chord? I don't know that chord. What's that chord? I don't know that chord. I had to hand write out every note because I didn't know what the chords were called. That song is one that even to this day, friends will hear it and they'll be like, you wrote that? That doesn't quite sound like you. (gasps) I'm like, I know it sounds more sophisticated than me. End quote. I got like a wave of chills when you said that. Girl, I'm fucking obsessed with the story. I'm Did Liberace like literally ghostwrite this song? I It sounds like it. <laughs> this is a whole new form of ghostwriting. Like literally. <laughs> it's literally ghostwriting. <laughs> I'm fucking here for all of it. That's, uh, that's amazing. That's fucking badass. Right? Uh, if I'm going to be possessed by something, can it be something that like is productive and yeah. like makes me get shit done or like produce great works of art? That would be. be I great. would be so fucking here for it. I'm okay with that possession. Yeah. I would if she credited him as a songwriter on the song. Dying. You like flip through the album. Like, it's like little Liberace. Booklet. Yeah, Liberace. It's like, yeah, he died like 40 years ago, but whatever. It's fine. But like his ghost <laughs> came through me. Thanks. Uh, if she didn't, she should. That's fucking hysterical. Yeah. I would just to fuck with people where they're like, wait, what? Right. I know. They'd be like, what the fuck? I know. I'm so here for it. Debbie then goes on to talk about her most impactful experience with the spirit of Mr. Showmanship. She said, quote, the next thing that happened... I still can't believe to this day this happened to me, end quote. So in the beginning of her career, Debbie was going through a weird, difficult time. She was only performing sporadically and was feeling lost and anxious, which, you know, happens a lot, you know, when you're a performer, when you don't have like a nine to five job and it's a career that's very like hit or miss, you know, you go through a lot of like, am I doing the right thing? Like, what the fuck am I doing with my life? So she's going through this. And she got called to do a series of shows in Salt Lake City. So she went, and the day of her first performance, she was at the hotel, and she asked the front desk what was a good low-key thing to do in town. The concierge recommended a local bookstore that was known for really cool, rare books. And Debbie was like, that fucking sounds perfect. You know, I that sounds like a great place to get lost in for the afternoon and just quell her nerves about the evening's performance and her anxieties about her career. Because as I said, since there had been minimal traction up until that point, she was wondering if she was doing the right thing and if she made the right choice with her career or if she should give it up. So she's in the bookstore and there's two levels to the bookstore and Debbie was in the basement and she had found everything that she wanted and with a stack of books in her hands, started to go up the stairs to check out when she heard a thump behind her. She said, quote, I knew that thump was for me, end quote. So she looked over her shoulder and saw that a book had fallen off the shelf. She picks up the book and sees who else but Mr. Showman himself staring back at her. Wait, you don't even know. It's going to get so good. It was an autobiography of Liberace with his picture on the cover. So she opens the book and starts thumbing through it and a piece of mail falls out of it. So she picks up the envelope and the return address on it says George Liberace Orchestrations. And George was Liberace's brother. She opened it and it was an original Western Union telegram dated April 1957 with the message, quote, good luck on your concert tonight from (gasps) Liberace, end quote. No. Yes. Back to back chills. Oh, absolutely. Yes. What the fuck? And it's the day that's that she's so having trippy. her concert. That would trip me out so bad. Yes. Like, what? 
And she spent like the whole day being like, what the fuck am I doing with my life? Is it like, what the fuck? Mm. And from her like idol, she basically gets a message saying, good luck on your concert tonight. I like can't even handle my life. Like, what are the odds of that? That's the thing. Actually, like like, what actually are the odds of that being a coincidence? Yeah. for, For the like obligatory devil's advocate, I was thinking the same thing. I'm like, okay. How many bookstores have an autobiography of Liberace? Yes. It? How many of them have a piece of mail in it? That wasn't caught by anyone who worked in the the shop at any point in time. Or it could be like sometimes it'll be like like an older bookstore. They'll like keep it in there as like part of like, oh, isn't this cool? Yeah. But that it fell on the ground. Yeah. Of all of the books that fell. It was that one when she was there. Yeah. And like I've never been in a bookstore where a book fell on the ground. No. And I go to bookstores all the time. Yeah. Like the odds of this are so non-existent that I'm like, dude, this, come on. That's so crazy. Libracci's like, girl, you're fine. Yeah. You're good. Yeah. You got this. Debbie said, quote, I could not believe this original piece of mail found its way to me. I really just felt like that was his way of letting me know it was all going to be okay. And you know what? It was. The concert went great that night. And every other night, I think overall, Liberace is like a guardian angel to me because he has come to me at times when I've needed something beyond myself to get me through a certain time. And he's been there, end quote. And that is the fucking bonkers story of Debbie Gibson and her famous guardian angel, Liberace. Holy shit. Yeah. That was so fucking crazy. I really did not remember as much as I thought I did, clearly. Same. I feel like I remembered the Ouija board and that she, like, contacted somebody famous, but I did not remember that it was Liberace, and I did not remember the thing about the fucking mail in the book, which yes. is tripping me out so fucking hard right See, now. See, I remembered the thing about the piano and her going... I remember her being obsessed On with Liberace the and then going to the show and then them being like, oh, you have a thing of, like, Liberace. And she's like, oh, actually, I I have that piece of, the pian- of his piano in my purse. Like, that's what I remember from the story. The mail is, like, outrageous to me. Literally outrageous. Like, it's honestly tripping me up so bad right now. I can't wrap my head around it. I'm so obsessed. Like, I'm so obsessed with all this. It's fucking crazy, dude. Yeah. Good luck on your concert tonight. What are the odds? Literally, like, literally, what are the odds? They are impossible odds. Okay, coincidences happen. I, yes, I agree. To this level? To this extent? Yeah. This is wild. It is. It is like even like the John Edward thing. It's like maybe like he actually did know and like was like found out that she was into Liberace. Like, okay, like I can I can totally sure be like that. That was bullshit. Sure. But the letter. Explain this. Yeah. The letter kills me. Yes. The book and the letter. I'm like, I mean, well, you know me. I believe all the things. You believe all the I things. Do. Yes. Um. That was fucking crazy. I fucking believe Debbie Gibson. That's I do too. She's fucking sure. in the Guinness Book. I'm not fucking with yeah. Debbie Gibson. She knows what the fuck time it is. Yeah. And she's in in this uh, celebrity, because I think it's like early 2000s, like maybe 2007, like, two, is that how you say it? 2007? I don't know. 2007? Did I just have a stroke? I don't know what the fuck just happened. I don't know what the fuck just happened. I like it. Fuck it. Who knows? <laughs> you might be ahead of our time. That's how we're going to be saying it in fucking 300 years, Monique. Yeah, when we're dead and gone or reincarnated. Who the fuck knows? There you go. 2007. 2007. And she looks, you know, she was 16, 17, and 87. She looks like fucking million dollars. She looks amazing. 
Like, get it, queen. She's like a fucking babe in the Guinness Book. Yeah, fuck yeah. You know, artist of, you know, songwriter of the year with Bruce Springsteen. Yeah. Fucking Liberace's like her guardian angel. Debbie Gibson, you're fucking nailing your life. I'm obsessed with you. Seriously. Put us up. Let's kiki. Oh my God, that would be my dream. Stop it. Yes. I'd be like, I want to have a seance with you, Debbie Gibson. That's all I want. I want to play the Ouija board with you. Yes. I would play the Ouija board if Debbie Gibson was in on this. Fuck yeah. It'd be my first time playing the Ouija board, but I'd do it. You've never played the Ouija board? I've never played the Ouija – girl, first of all, it's very (laughs) – I I don't think – one, I was – it was never like this came up and I like naysayed it and I was like, no, I'm I'm scared. I don't want to do it. Like none of my friends had Ouija boards. None of my friends like did um, light as feather stiff as a board. Like I never did any of that shit. I don't know why really if like the people I surrounded myself with as friends as a kid didn't – I guess they were well adjusted. Maybe, <laughs> or like, I don't know. I think maybe a lot of it was because like I grew up in the Bible Belt of like, ah, Florida that it yeah. was like, that's like kind of uh, towing the line of like devil's things. So sure, I feel yeah. like that would have been actually like very not, not cool. Yeah, I mean. To a lot it, of the people I grew up in with. In Catholic school, in religion class, the priest was like, that is not a fucking toy. And it's outrageous that Milton Bradley or whatever the fuck, Parker Brothers, that's what yeah. it was, fucking sells it for 20 bucks. For, like, anyone to yeah. have. It's like, don't fuck with the Ouija board. And I was like, well, I'm definitely going to fuck with one then. Obviously. <laughs> You're, like, in line at the toy store tomorrow. Like, two, two, please. Thank you. I mean, to be fair, I was like, I don't want one in my home. Which now, you know, I went to Salem. That's, I was yeah. there for 14 minutes and I bought a Ouija board. Um, of course. But I would, like, make them. I would literally get, like, a, a piece of paper and write out the board. And then get, like, a Dixie cup. You're and, so ballsy. Like, fucking, yeah. Fuck yeah. A fucking weirdo, man. Um, yeah, so no, I've never, I've never used a Ouija board. I've never done stiff as a board, light as a feather. I've never done like any of that, like, girl, like quintessential sleepover stuff you're supposed to we do. We got like, to. Spooky sleepover stuff. We can totally have a spooky sleepover and do all those stuff. I would love that. I think we need to do a spooky sleepover. <laughs> Watch I do it. I get possessed by the fucking thing that comes through the Ouija board. And then I'm just like pissed after this. And I'm like, God damn it, Mimi. It's okay. I was, li- I'll bring- I was living an unhaunted life and now... <laughs> Thanks to you and this goddamn podcast, I have a fucking poltergeist that will. I'll, I'll alone. bring salt and like holy water. Okay. Yeah. okay. No. Oh my god, we have to do a spooky sleepover. <gasps> I'm so excited about okay. this. Okay. Fuck yeah. We also have to take a trip to uh, fucking Sleepy Hollow. Sleepy Hollow. Since we realized it's uh like not that far away from us. So uh, I worked a, a job in Valhalla this weekend, which is like five to ten minutes away from Sleepy Hollow, apparently. Oh, okay. And one of the the beer reps uh, that I've known for years, uh, he like casually mentioned that he lives in Sleepy Hollow, and I was like, "Excuse me, what? I'm sorry, sorry, what?" what? And I was like, "Is it everything that my heart has decided it is?" And he's like, "I mean, sure." (laughs) (laughs) Did he have recommendations? Oh, absolutely. I was like, "Okay." And then I was like, "Wait, like you live in Sleepy Hollow? Like how far is it?" He's like, "No, it's like right there, thirty five minute, yeah, forty minute train ride to the city." And I'm like, "What?" I was under the impression this is like a fucking buffalo, like hours away. He's like, no. And I'm like, well, I was terrible at where in the world is Carmen San Diego. Geography is not my strong suit. He's <laughs> like, you could literally do a day trip to Sleepy Hollow. And I'm like, <gasps> damn. Yeah, when you told me, I didn't realize either. And I looked it up and I was like, oh, I made a delivery in like Terrytown a week ago. And it's literally like That's, right next yeah, to that. Like basically. Terrytown like, is essentially Sleepy Hollow. Yes. Yeah. And I was like, oh, I like basically was there so, yeah. like, two weeks ago. And I just had no I- fucking idea. Yeah. So I'm like, okay, well, that like changes the fucking game now. 
Yeah, Because totally. I didn't know that this was a possibility in my life. I thought it was like I had to plan a whole fucking thing. No. We could totally just bang this out one afternoon. Yeah, I'm so fucking here for it. I'm like, yeah, I need to go to the- fucking do it. He's like, I mean, he's like, it's small. You know, there's like the cemetery and well, yeah. like the church. I'm okay. like, that's literally all I want to see. That's what I want to see. I want to go to the cemetery and be like, oh my God. Yeah. I'm in Sleepy Hollow. Yay. So spooky sleepover and then Sleepy Hollow field trip. I'm like living all of my spooky middle school dreams that I never got to live as a middle schooler. Yes. I'm fucking obsessed. I literally am raising the roof because I haven't realized I know that we both are, like, 20 years have passed since that was acceptable. All right. Well, I'm excited for our spooky adventures. And thank you for that spooky story. I fucking love me a celebrity ghost story. You know that. I mean, Yeah. You know, and something I think I mentioned on the show before that I really love, one of the many things I really love about the show is just the shit you find out. Like, yes, I've seen celebrity ghost stories. I had no idea the level of Debbie Gibson. I had no idea the level of Liberace. Yeah. That Liberace was the highest paid entertainer in the fucking world at one point. I had no clue. I think of those fucking numbers, yeah. Uh, you know, and I'm pretty sure Einstein said, I-, I have no special talent. I'm only passionately curious. And uh, I, I consider myself to be very passionately curious of, like, I can't help but pull the string when I'm interested in something. I'm just like, where where does this go? So I thought it was just really cool to find out all these things about Liberace and Debbie Gibson that I had no fucking clue about. Yeah. And then to tie it all together with some fucking Ouija board magic yes. and some possessed book action. Like, fuck. fuck yes. yes. I'm so fucking here for this. It's like... Especially, I wanted to do something a little nicer because last week's episode was so tough. <laughs> it was rough. I, we definitely had the same thought on this because <laughs> you'll see when I you hear my story of like what I picked. And then I realized, <laughs> I was like, oh shit, like we're getting into Halloween. Should I have like actually doubled down and just like gone like super brutal and awful? Because like it's the horrifying month of Halloween. I think it's also okay to have to be a little light. Uh, by the way, thanks so much for the um, texts and the DMs. I'm glad you guys enjoyed the animal facts. Okay. Did they? Good. They did. I got, I got, uh, well, the first one I got was Queen Grace. 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 Amazing. "Um, I miss her. Fuck. I know. God. We need to hang again. But (laughs) she was like, you're hysterical. These animal facts. I literally was laughing the entire (laughs) way on my way to work. Hearing the animal facts. I'm like, hey, man, whatever could break up that story because it was fucking rough. It was rough. I, I loved the animal facts, honestly. Yeah. It was one of the things I was like, should we do this in every story now? Like, this is amazing. Yeah. I mean, I'm definitely keeping it in my back pocket for, <laughs> for, for like, sure. ones that are terrible. Like, I, I mentioned it to someone at the bar that I was like, oh, yeah, I added this. Like, uh, otters have a, a pocket in their skin for their favorite rock. And they're like, is that true? I'm like, apparently. Yeah, yeah like, I wouldn't shit. lie to you about like, this. I know, right? Yeah, fuck yeah. The more you know. The more you know. <laughs> I was going to make a terrible joke that was like, technically we have a pocket for our favorite rocks too. We just don't use it like that. And then I was like, this is too far, Amy. This is too far. It is. Vagina rocks. Vagina rocks. <laughs> Pick a smooth one, everyone. That first rule of vagina yeah. rocks. Yeah. Isn't that like a, what the fuck's her name? Gwyneth Paltrow and Goop. She was like, oh yeah, put like a jade egg in there. Oh, that's like 500 bucks. You know, because it makes you like tight and right and like balances your pH. And then every doctor was like, please Please under no circumstances do that because you're going to get the worst UTI of your fucking life. Don't actually listen to Goop. Yeah. Hi, Gwyneth, you're not a doctor. Maybe don't tell people to shove things up their vaginas and hold them there. Thanks. I heard that she like had like a company retreat where she sent 
all of like all of her employees to South America to do ayahuasca, and it was like mandatory. Oh, okay, that one. I don't think you should make drugs mandatory for a right. Thing. I would have been like, I don't want to like vomit and shit myself for eight hours and then hallucinate. <laughs> I was like, this is a trip I, as an employee, would enjoy, but like not everyone would, and I would not put that on everyone. Right, I would not be one of those people. I'm like, I don't need that to be part of my reality. Yeah. Important to note, she did not attend this trip. Okay, hypocritical. Fuck you. If you're going to make everyone vomit, like violently vomit and shit themselves for like two hours before they trip balls, you should be leading that party. Yeah. Also, just saying. Hi, uh, you said it was mandatory. Do you not know what that means? That means you have to fucking do it, Gwyneth. Goop. Some bullshit. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sorry. Goop bullshit. I can't take the word goop seriously. It like, I don't know why. How can you? It's ridiculous. How can you? You can't. It's insane. It's ridiculous. She also has a fucking candle that she's that sold out that was called the the scent was my vagina literally smells like this. Yes. Honey, yes. what's happening with your vagina that it smells like that? Yes. Like what did I I don't even want to I'm not even gonna ask. I was like, what does it smell like? I don't wanna know because no, it there's was not like, a good answer for it. Not First of all, like it's, a vagina. Yeah, I'm sure it's a thing that wasn't a natural smell for a human body. No, it was like lavender, whatever the fuck. And it's like Honey, and also, why did that sell out? People, as a society, we need to look at our life and look at our fucking choices. Why the fuck are you buying a goop candle that is titled, this is literally what my vagina smells like? Yes. Look at your life, look at your choices. Yes. Straight up. I don't understand. No. And with that, <laughs> should should we start the crime time? Let's start the crime time. Okay. I love it. So... Like I obviously mentioned earlier, I also went a little late this week because mm-hmm. obviously not every story has to be a murder or rape or an abduction. Sure. So mm-hmm. in honor of that, I am bringing you a safe, murder-free, violence-free Yay. story this week. Yay. So everybody, We're easing into October, guys. Yes, because it's about to get horrifying. You know we're going to double yeah. down when it's like – We'll hit you with it. Yes. <laughs> It's going to be real gruesome and brutal, and you're going to be like, oh, why do I listen to these girls? They're so awful. It's because of our sparkling <laughs> wit and personality. Our winsome and our personality. That's very true. It's very true. Yeah. <laughs> so here's my like last hurrah before we really try to shock you for Halloween. Fuck yeah. So sources, justice.gov, fbi.gov, connecticutmag.com, nj.com, newyorktimes.com, MiamiNewTimes.com, NBCChicago.com, NBCMiami.com, and MiamiCBSLocal.com. Dude, there's so many fucking cities in this So many cities. So many cities. And because the first one was the FBI, or second one was the FBI, you know it's going to be all over the place. Bonkers. Bonkers. The Eli Lilly Warehouse is a boring, nondescript beige building in Enfield, Connecticut. It's just down the road from a couple of restaurants and a shopping mall, but it feels like it's in the middle of nowhere, surrounded Mm. by woods and very little else. Belied by its unassuming appearance, the building actually houses millions of dollars worth of pharmaceutical drugs. Damn. Yet, unbelievably, has no security fence, and when the building was shut down on the weekends, there wasn't even a security guard on the premises. What the fuck? I know. This is just, like, all so ill-advised. Like, come on. That's just, like, someone's getting fired because the fuck-up is severe. For sure. They need to. 
On the evening of Saturday, March 13th, 2010, someone dropped off a ladder in the rear parking lot of the warehouse facility and left. At 9.33 p.m., a tractor trailer pulled up to the loading dock and a security camera captured the grainy image of two men checking to see if there was anyone inside the office, then carrying the ladder over to the building and using it to get to the roof, which was just tar and metal sheeting and wouldn't take much effort to cut through. Which is exactly what the two men did, using tools they had purchased at a run-of-the-mill home improvement store and with absolutely no one watching, the men proceeded to cut a hole in the metal roof and, using climbing gear, rappelled down into the warehouse. That's fucking wild. This is 2013, you said? This is 2010. Fucking crazy. That was, this was in the 70s. Like, we should have known better by this point. I understand it's Connecticut, but what the fuck? No, we definitely should have fucking known better. Like, what the fuck? Literally no excuse. You're right. If it was the 70s, like, this would make sense for, like, why they were getting away with it. It's fucking 2010, bro. Come on. And you have expensive, that's like being like, we're going to have a jewelry store with diamonds in it. We're not going to take the diamonds out of like the display windows. We're going to have like a deadbolt, but that's it. Yeah. No security guard. Like a little chain link fence, but like you could scale that easily. Yeah. You're like, no, no one would fucking do that. Yeah. What are you, like, what are you thinking? Seriously. They're not, clearly. They are not. One of the men disabled the alarm system without cutting a single wire and- Get the fuck out, guys. No, that's fucking professional as fuck. Yeah. Yeah. These are not amateurs. And just like that, they and the rest of their crew had as much time as they needed to load up a tractor trailer they had backed into the loading dock. Over the next five hours, using oh the- my God. I know. They literally- There's no one there. There's no one watching. No one's, like, monitoring any of this, like- They just do whatever the fuck they want. Using the warehouse's forklifts, they loaded 49 pallets of pharmaceutical drugs onto the truck. Holy shit. Including Zyprexa, an antipsychotic drug used to treat bipolar disorder, Prozac and Cymbalta, both antidepressants, and Gemzar, a chemotherapy drug used to treat lung cancer. Then, at 3.40 a.m. on March 14th, the tractor trailer departed from the Eli Lilly warehouse with over $60 million worth of stolen Holy pharmaceuticals. fucking shit. And that's not even, um, like, street market price. Uh, no, no. Although... It'd probably be less. Yes. I believe Because it's free. Yeah, they sell it for pennies on the dollar, so they would actually make less than they were worth. Fine, let's say it's 50% yeah. less. $30 million. Yeah. It's still fucking insane. Unsurprisingly, it was the biggest robbery in Connecticut history and the biggest pharmaceutical heist in U.S. history. That's fucking wild. It's wild. However, the only evidence left behind was a couple of discarded water bottles and a set of brand new looking Husky brand power tools. Now, while this bizarre burglary might sound like a -a once-in-a-lifetime heist right out of an Ocean's Eleven movie... This was actually not the first time a robbery that fit this pattern had taken place, and federal investigators believe they were all the work of one well-orchestrated network. Oh, shit. Yep. One that operated like a big business with high-end, fast-moving theft crews. The same crew that had pulled off the Eli Lilly warehouse robbery was also suspected of, 
a multi-million dollar cigarette warehouse burglary in Montgomery, Illinois in July 2009. Holy shit! Of stealing more than 13 million worth of respiratory inhalers from the Glaxo Smith Klein warehouse in Colonial Holy Heights, Virginia shit. in August 2009, as well as the theft of more than $8 million in cigarettes and a cargo trailer from a warehouse in East Peoria, Illinois in January 2010. This is wild! Yes, the level of this. I had no fucking idea. And that it's cigarettes and pharmaceuticals. Basically. It's very specific. Yes. Just three months after the $8 million in cigarettes were taken, the Eli Lilly warehouse was looted. In all of the robberies, the thieves gained entry into the warehouses by climbing up to the unsecured roof, cutting through with power tools, and lowering themselves in with ropes. The alarm systems were then bypassed, again, all without cutting a single wire, and tractor trailers were used to haul away the stolen goods. See, because initially, with the first one, I'm like, okay, it's an inside job. Yes. Yes. Something, something the fuck is up. Like, someone knows, they know, like, how to how to bypass the bullshit security system. Like, okay. But now this is, like, different states and shit. This is different states, yes. This is wild. Yes. Very far-reaching. Like, this turned out to be, like, way bigger than I expected this to be. Like, I expected this to be a one-off when I read it. I was like, oh, okay, like, this is a crazy, like, I love that. heist. And then I was like, wait, this went so much deeper than I fucking thought it did. Dude, that's like the Count of St. Germain. I was like, okay, it's some dude who's like a vampire in New Orleans. Not like, oh, BT Dubs, he was at the wedding at Cana with Jesus Christ. Yes, by the way. You're like, what the fuck? <laughs> I love this. I love this. When you pull that string and you're like, wait, you don't even know. You don't even, you don't even know the level of this know. This was one of those where like, ah, I know they're criminals and I know I'm supposed to be no, like. it's fucking cool. Oh, I was like, it's this is fucking cool, so man. badass. I was like, I'm actually just really impressed. It's like, I'm not even mad. I'm just impressed. Yeah, if I'd be a criminal, I'd be like a fucking thief. Yes. Fuck yes. But like a cat cool, burglar. like Ocean's Eleven shit. Fuck yeah. yeah. Give me like the skin tight cat suit and like the cool goggles. Let's fucking do this. Yeah, movie. like the fucking. I'll repel off some shit. Entrapment with Catherine Zeta-Jones. Ah, oh, goals. Oh my Fuck god, yeah. with like the going under all the yes. wires. Yes, the like the the lasers, the, the, the lasers, like the trip lasers. That's what it is. Oh my god, what a fucking babe. But you're like that's literally the goals of my life. I'm a fucking square. I don't do anything. But like, if I did, yes, that's what it'd be. Oh, uh, I know. I wish I was that cool. No, I'm not. So yeah, this is one of those where I was like, ooh, I know I'm like not supposed to be in super impressed by this and like i'm supposed to be like no crime is bad but like ooh, i kind of was rad. here for it yeah it's super cool it's sorry yeah it's nope. it's really cool i i totally agree <laughs> <laughs> i mean it's terrible that they're selling these drugs on the street obviously but yes yes and it could just be that because of the way it's portrayed and in, in film and tv but like bank robbers and shit that's like sexy shit for yeah sure. like also, it's the other thing of like it's like a it's victimless not hurting crime. anybody. Yes, right, exactly. Yes, yeah. victimless crime in quotes, quote um, unquote. Obviously, there are victims in this crime. However, yes. they didn't murder anyone. They weren't like right. you know violent. So right. I get why there's some compassion towards this. Sure, I mean they're smart and crafty and great at what they do. Ooh. It's fucking rad, man. I know. Sorry. <sighs> And, like, I feel like just, like, America's, like, you know what? If you can fucking outsmart it and fucking get away with it, like, 
that's fucking on you, man. That's American ingenuity right there. Like, fuck yeah. Yep. I mean, you know that back in the day, if you escaped from prison and got away with it, like you were free to go. What? There was no warrant to like <laughs> they were get like, you. You did it. Yeah. Good for you. Congrats. Yeah. They were like, it's man's nature to want to escape. And if he did it, good on you. Yeah. You're free to go. Damn. Right? Because that's the thing of the American ingenuity. It's like, yeah, man. Of course, of course you would want to do this. That's fucking wild. And you were good enough to get away with it? Fuck yeah. You yeah. Pass. There you go. Yeah. Now, in addition to the obvious similarities in execution that led investigators to believe that these burglaries were connected, there was also the matter of the DNA evidence that was found at all three crime scenes. Yeah, I was going to say, dude, you're leaving that water bottle behind? Ooh, yep. DNA, don't fucking do that. Not good. Recycle. Yes. Also, don't be disgusting. <laughs> Throw Pick that up your trash. Out. Pick up your trash. Because while the identity of the individual was still unknown, investigators had confirmed that the DNA all matched the same individual. Mm. Now, while the investigations into the other warehouse burglaries were still ongoing, the Enfield Police Department and the FBI had started to investigate the Eli Lilly case. They sent the discarded water bottle found at the scene for DNA testing while they looked into the collection of red-handled Husky brand tools that had been left behind. Now, Husky is a brand that's sold only at Home Depot. And because the tools look brand new, investigators speculated that someone might have purchased everything recently and all at one time. So agents began scouring Home Depot computer records to find out, <sighs> yep, to find out if the eight tools matching those recovered in Connecticut had ever been sold together in one place. Turns out, they had. Yep. Exactly once. At the Flushing, New York store on March 12th, 2010 at 1.13 so p.m. Like the day before. Literally the day before. Guys, this is amateur hour. <sighs> yep. Come on. Surveillance camera footage showed two unknown men paying for the $757 purchase in cash, then walking through the parking lot and putting their purchases into the back of an SUV. When the DNA test finally came back from the water bottle found at the Eli Lilly warehouse, it should come as absolutely no surprise that it too matched the DNA found at the other three scenes. Of course. Yes, which like, seriously, dude, you couldn't go like a couple of hours without having a drink? Like, no, even I respect that. You take it with you. Just like literally you know, sometimes you're dehydrated as fuck. You know, like the president will be in town and there won't be a fucking garbage can because they get rid of all the garbage can on Fifth Avenue because they think someone's gonna put a bomb in it. Sure. So then do I toss it like a garbage person? No. I hold on to it a until I come across a garbage can. Yes. That's what you do. Keep your evidence and your DNA with you. Exactly. You're just gonna fucking leave it all over the fucking warehouse where you just committed this huge crime? No. Seriously. That's hubris. That is hubris. Big time. That is hubris. That's like, I'm not going to clean up after myself. Like, somebody else will get it. No. Clean up after your goddamn self. It's a crime scene, you fucking idiot. It's they're, a they're bagging and tagging everything. It's a crime scene. Seriously. <laughs> what the fuck? Seriously. So, while they had this DNA evidence tying all the cases together, investigators still didn't know who the DNA belonged to. And despite the FBI's ongoing investigations into the various robberies, they didn't catch a break until 2009 when a buy and bust sting involving a load of pharmaceuticals stolen in Georgia led the FBI cargo theft. Wait, it's in 2009? So it's a year before this? Yes. It's a little confusing. And this I kind of like had to puzzle out, which was basically because these other robberies happened. Happened first. First. The FBI is already investigating the connections between them and them independently. 
So in a buy and busting that is independent from this, which because obviously this hasn't happened yet, they are led to Florida, which is where they realize that this whole thing is housed and set up. Uh huh. And they end up getting informants, people to cooperate with them so that they can now infiltrate this thing. So it kind of starts in 2009 with this buy and busting. And then the article I read said that basically as of late 2010, they had quote unquote, like penetrated this organization. I see. So like I said, by late 2010, the feds had gained the cooperation of several people working within the operation and was able to finally infiltrate this organization. So working undercover for more than a year, they gathered evidence and had their informants record transactions dealing the stolen merchandise. The information gained from their informants led them to Miami, where the operation was based, and ultimately, yep, to the men responsible for these Ocean's Eleven-esque robberies. First and foremost, there were the brothers, Ahmed and Omri Vila. Both were citizens of Cuba, living in Miami, and both had a long history of theft and burglary. It became clear to investigators that they were the main organizers and executioners of these heists. Ahmed, the older of the two, had dark hair and a tattoo of a skull on his right arm. That's another fucking thing with the tattoos. That makes you... Yes! Identifying marks. Identifying marks. So one, if you go missing, it's great. Two, if you've committed a crime, it's terrible. It's terrible. (laughs) (laughs) That's how they fucking found um, Richard Speck. Because he had a tattoo that said, born to raise hell. He was the one who who murdered all those uh, nurses in Chicago. Yes. And then when he went to the hospital, the nurse clocked the tattoo. Because there was a fucking worn out for him. Dude. And that's how he got pinched. Seriously, bro. Come on. Dude. Another, you know, strike against the tattoos. It's very true. That's very true. So yeah, if you're going to commit a crime, like, have them covered. Don't ever have them visible. Right. Although I did see, like, one of those, like, CSI shows or something like that. Where a guy committed a bank robbery and he had like a Mike Tyson face tattoo and it was fake because the guy was like, she was so focused on the tattoo. She didn't (gasps) like clock anything else. I'm like, now in that case, that's smart. That's fucking brilliant. That's really smart. Okay. I'm not teaching you how to commit a crime and (laughs) CISs. Blame them, not us. You can come (laughs) for them. them. They have money. Um, That's really fun. It, It just made me think of the like peaches which was like one of the victims of the Long Island serial killer. Yes, and they like, that's yes, what yes. she's referred to as because they couldn't identify who she was and she had a tattoo of like a peach. Yeah. 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 <sighs> I mean, I get both sides. Like if you're, if you go missing or they find your body, it's great. If you commit a crime, it's fucking terrible. Yes. Um, so you, you got to fucking roll that dice. I did always think it was uh, super funny. My mom's best friend got tattoos like kind of later in life and yeah. she, her reasoning was always like oh further uh, identification of my body in case i turn up somewhere dead oh, basically Jesus Christ. i was like my family and the people we surround ourselves have a very dark sense of humor clearly <laughs> yeah i got that <laughs> so yes tattoo of a skull on his right arm ahmed claimed that he installed fire doors for a living but had been arrested and convicted for burglary in January 2000 in Seminole County, Florida, and charged with multiple burglary-related offenses in Florida between 1995 and 2005. Damn. Yep. He had been ordered deported from the United States, but had not been detained, and instead he was supposed to periodically check in with immigration authorities, but apparently hadn't done so in years. And no one gave a fuck. And no one gave a fuck. Ahmed's younger brother, Amari, is a stocky man with close-cropped hair, 
a tattoo of a scorpion on his left arm, and a quote-unquote long rap sheet for burglary. Believed to be the security expert of the two, he listed his occupation as self-employed alarm installer on an application for a safe deposit box at Bank of America. Oh, shit. Yep. Florida records showed that he was having showed that he was having to make monthly child support payments and had recently incorporated a transportation company. In addition to the Vila brothers, the FBI also began investigating Yosmane Nunez, also known as El Gato, the cat, who had a record for theft of interstate freight, Alexander Marquez, and Rafael Lopez. According to their sources, all five of the men had been present at the Eli Lilly warehouse on the night of the theft. Damn. Yep. Ahmed and Amari had been the masterminds behind the whole thing and the ones to cut open the roof, drop into the building, and disarm the security system. Nunez had helped Amari with scouting and planning the heist beforehand, as well as loading the pharmaceuticals onto the tractor trailer after the break-in. Marquez had been the driver. In addition to dropping off the ladder used by the Vila brothers to climb the roof, he drove the tractor trailer to the warehouse, then was responsible for transporting all of the stolen goods across state lines from Enfield to Miami afterwards. Lopez had been the lookout. He dropped off the brothers at the warehouse the night of the break-in, then stayed back and watched for police, keeping in contact with the others. Determined to prove that the men had been at the Eli Lilly warehouse the night of March 13th, investigators started looking into their whereabouts in the months leading up to the crime. They discovered that in January 2010, three months before the burglary, Amari and Nunez took a flight from Miami to LaGuardia. There were records of them renting a car, then checking in at a hotel in Windsor, mm. Connecticut, approximately 11 miles from Enfield. Surveillance video from the following day showed an individual walking around the outside at the Eli Lilly warehouse and looking through the front doors of the locked building around 10.35 p.m. You can't get away with shit like this. Like, in a day of, I know. like, cell phones There's too many cameras. And, cameras. and yes. You can't and get like, away with shit. And, like, all your shit's tracked. You can't go to, like, a hotel anymore and pay in cash and write a fake name. Right. Like, they need your fucking credit card and your ID. Like Yeah, like, the shit with, like, D.B. Cooper. Like, you just pay in cash. You give him whatever fucking name you want. And you go on a flight. Like, that's, you can't do yeah. any of that shit. No, fuck no. You basically get a background check every fucking time you go on a fucking flight. Yes, seriously. The FBI believed that Amari was the man seen on the surveillance video. They also discovered that prior to the break-in, he had negotiated lease agreements for two Freightliner CL-20 tractor trucks through his recently incorporated transportation company. Then in early March, he again made several flights to and from Miami and New York, and on March 12th, the night before the break-in, there was a record of Amari checking back in to the exact same hotel Ugh. he had stayed at on the scouting mission back in January. Dude, not nailing it. You were doing so well up until now. Because that's the thing. You have a rap sheet, it's because you're bad at your job. Yep. And like, they, they're going to refer to that. They're, yeah. Yeah. If they have a suspicion... For a they're thing, gonna get, who they're going to look at that? people who have done the thing. Yes, exactly. When investigators looked back at the security footage from the Home Depot in Flushing, where the tools were purchased, they were able to confirm that the men on the video buying them were Ahmed Vila and Rafael Lopez, mm. and that the car matched the description of the one they had rented at LaGuardia. 
With the evidence piling up against the men in the Eli Lilly case, investigators also looked into any ties the Vilas might have had with the burglaries that occurred in Virginia in August of 2009 and in Illinois in July 2009 and January 2010. Mm. Turns out, just days before the July 2009 break-in, Amari Vila had checked into a hotel in Rosemount, just 40 miles away from Montgomery, Illinois, and checked out after the robbery had Guys. taken place. Come on, man. It's not good. I was so impressed with you initially. I know, I know. Criminals are just bad at their jobs. Like, ultimately, they're bad at it. Yes. Also, like, the deck is stacked against you. Like, people are trying to actively find you and solve this. Yeah. You're not operating in a vacuum. Yeah, and just the fact that you left your DNA on the scene because you're a lazy fuck to throw it out and you're not protecting the environment, you piece of shit. Get over it. Fuck you. Like, dude, that is such amateur hour. It's seriously, it's, yeah, so easily could have been avoided. Come on. Yeah, and it's that thing, like, I mean, now, you know, you leave anything. It doesn't matter if you're you're in the system, because if you have one family, me- a distant family member who's done a 23 and me, they're fucking finding your ass. For real. Now you're, like, extra fucked. You can't get away with anything, especially now. But even no. then, it's like, dude, it's 2010. This isn't the O.J. Simpson trial where they're like, what's this mumbo jumbo DNA hocus pocus? No, everyone knows that DNA is a fucking thing. It's like the thing and we you get you on. Left yes. It, you fucking idiot. Yes. Ugh. Seriously. And also, I'm basically going to have photo shoots at every fucking airport and car place <laughs> and Home Depot and fucking Red Roof Inn that I go to. <laughs> Ugh. Just smile for all of the cameras. Yes. Yeah. Which is my best side. Um, You guys are fucking idiots. Ridiculous. I rescind, I'm, I don't rescind robbery being like a sexy thing. Like, oh, that's still true. I think that's really cool in theory. Yeah. But you guys are fucking stupid, obviously. <laughs> yeah. They're not nailing it. No, not at all. They definitely had some skills there. They're definitely not without their uh, sure. their strengths. But uh, cleaning up their evidence is not one of them, clearly. You lazy fuck, because this is like cultural Spanish bullshit if they expect their wife or their mother <laughs> to clean up their shit. Then bring her the fuck along so she can fucking do it and you can get away with this fucking crime. <laughs> Seriously. Swiffer that motherfucking crime Jesus scene. Jesus Christ. Dude. Like you couldn't pick up two water bottles? Fucking, this all went to hell because of you. Fucking idiot. Ridiculous. So... Then again, in August of 2009, a day before the break-in at the Glaxo SmithKline warehouse, Amari checked into a hotel in Chester, Virginia. Again, just 15 miles away from the warehouse in Colonial Heights. Lastly, in January 2010, records showed that someone using Amari's credit card checked into the- What the fuck? This is such fucking amateur. Look- if you're having an affair or you're committing a crime, you don't want a fucking paper trail. You never use a credit card, especially one that has your fucking Girl, name on it. Also, facts. like, sleep in your car. I thought the same thing. I was like, dude, you can, like, what pull over fuck? to rest stop. I just, I would have driven all the way from fucking Florida. And it would have sucked, but I fucking would have done it. Yes. You know what sucks more? Getting pinched for however long these people are going to do, like, federal time for. Yeah. That sucks way more than sleeping in your car for a night. You fucking idiot. Seriously. Ugh ridiculous this is such amateur hour i'm not impressed at all <laughs> they, they definitely make some mistakes several several i will give you some more information that might still might make this impressive we'll see okay so like i said someone using his credit card checked into the fairfield inn in east peoria 
Illinois a few days before the theft and again checked out a few days after. So while all of this accounts for Amari's involvement in the burglaries, what about Ahmed? Well, remember that pesky water bottle with the DNA just all over it? How could I forget? Yep. Well, it turns out that that DNA belonged to none other than Ahmed Vila. Look at that. And just in case you forgot, DNA was recovered at all four burglaries. And they all matched, right? Yep. And Ugh. was determined to belong to the same individual. Despite all of the evidence the feds were compiling against the Vila brothers and their organization, they knew the final nail in the coffin would come if they were able to locate the drugs the men had stolen from the warehouse. Yeah. However, this was a little more difficult than it seemed because, as you can imagine, due to the pressure from law enforcement and the publicity about the theft, the drugs were far too risky to sell right away. Dude, this is like fucking Peaky Blinders. Yeah. So the men were forced to scroll them away until the goods were no longer hot and they could sell them without raising any alarms. In fact, in mid-August 2010, U.S. Customs intercepted a FedEx package sent from the Dominican Republic addressed to a business at the Rickenbacker Marina in Miami. The package contained 2,200 counterfeit labels for the pharmaceuticals stolen from the Eli Lilly warehouse, and the feds realized that someone with ties to the area was trying to relabel the stolen goods. However, by intercepting the labels, the feds were able to stop the pharmaceuticals from making it onto the black market. Then, in October 2011, while Amari was under surveillance by law enforcement authorities, they found a set of keys in a rental car he had returned. The keys belonged to a storage facility in Dorrell, Florida. So wait, I'm sorry. So I'm understanding this. He returned the rental car and he accidentally let, left, left keys in keys there. Left keys inside You're of it. You're so fucking dumb. I can't, you know, spectacles, testicles, wallet, and watch and keys. Yes. Figure your shit out. Yes. Phone, wallet, keys, mask. Everyone knows the new drill now. Used to be the old drill. Yes. I Like, I was working a job recently where my fucking, my phone slipped out of my pocket <gasps> in the rental car, like literally the last second that I was in it. And then did I, even though I was home, did I get my shit and go to the rental place and be like, hey, you got my fucking phone? Yeah, immediately. Yeah, of course. Cover your fucking tracks. Get all your fucking yes. shit. Don't leave your yes. DNA places. It's really not that it's hard. It's really not guys. that hard. <laughs> I was like, I mean, me, the DNA thing, definitely, because I'm just shedding constantly. The hair. Yeah. Oh, so absolutely. I'm a fucking, yeah. yeah. I would have yeah. to wear like a hairnet to any crime scene I ever went to, <laughs> any crime I'm ever committing. Like, I just, yeah. Absolutely. So, yeah, he returns this rental car that he left the fucking keys in because the feds are fucking watching him. They had followed him to the storage facility earlier, so they knew exactly which one it was, exactly where to go. And this is fucking amateur yep. hour. FBI agents tried the keys in every storage locker at the facility. And Shit. when they found several that they opened, they obtained a search warrant to look inside. There, they discovered the stolen pharmaceuticals from the Eli Lilly warehouse. According to Wilfredo Farrar, the U.S. attorney for the Southern District of Florida, quote, we recovered 100% of the medications that were oh, stolen shit. in this case, end quote, which I wow. thought was like fucking unbelievable, honestly. Yeah. 
On the morning of May 3rd, 2012, the Miami U.S. Attorney's Office announced the indictments and teams of federal agents began arresting people with ties to this Miami-based criminal organization. The Vila brothers, Nunez, Marquez, and Lopez were among those arrested. In total, 18 men faced charges. Damn. Yep. Were facing charges in four states. And this is two years after the fact. Yes. Yes. Wow. Talk about playing that long game. Part of the craziest thing to me, too, is like even after this fucking huge heist, like it still took them two years to fucking arrest them. But, you know, at the same time, that's kind of hot, too. Like doing the investigation for like two years. Yeah. Fuck, like undercover. You got to go like fuck meet up yeah. with your contacts, your like informants. Yeah. Fuck yeah. I fucking, that's fucking sexy, too. I'm this, into that. This is Sploosh City. They should make this into a movie. <laughs> Get on it, Netflix. Sploosh City. I'm yeah. obsessed with you. <laughs> In total, 18 men faced charges in four states. The 18-count indictment was the culmination of what investigators called Operation Southern Hospitality, which, hey. like, as a name for an operation, just fucking it's cracks terrible. me up. It's terrible. It's terrible. It's also not unique, as in, like, they name other operations this. So when I Googled this, like... 40 things came up. A bunch up. of things came up. So, yeah, it was, like, one of them was, like trying to catch pedophiles and it was like this and then this was like there was like one that was literally just like a support for veterans or something and i was just like okay pick a thing and name it that don't just name it a bunch of things wasn't that the in the mcmillions wasn't it your final answer or something like final answer was operation because it was to win the million the million dollars for the mcdonald's and because who wants to be a millionaire was a big thing i think it was operation final answer like in who wants to be a millionaire is that your final answer that's funny yeah i don't know You've recommended this to me several times, but I don't think I've actually watched that documentary. I've heard good things Girl, about it. Girl, it's fucking great. Yeah, I've heard good things. It's fucking great. I haven't, like, actually just sat down and taken the time, though. So You haven't had boatloads of time to do that? <laughs> I haven't had boatloads of time to What do have that. you been doing, Amy? <laughs> <laughs> just, you know, working, like, you know, okay. writing stories and, like, podcasting, doing, like, editing and podcast. Editing. And editing. Promoting. It's fine. <laughs> I'm going to get on. It's great, go. though. I, yes. It's great. I've heard amazing things. Midnight Mass, then McMillions. Yeah. Then Murders in the Building. Okay. Only Murders in the Building. Noted. So Operation Southern Hospitality, which was a three-year undercover investigation that centered in South Damn. Florida. Yep. But stretched across the country and targeted the sale and distribution of stolen pharmaceuticals. Special Agent Gillies, in charge from FBI Miami, said this investigation represented the largest takedown in U.S. history involving Holy cargo shit. Yep. Subsequent investigation revealed that even after the Eli Lilly break-in, while Operation Southern Hospitality was well underway, the Vila brothers and their crew successfully stole $7.8 million in cell phones and multimedia Holy tablets. Holy shit! Yep. From the Quality One Wireless Warehouse in Orlando, Florida in January of 2011, and more than $1.5 million in cigarettes from the Cormac Cigarette Warehouse in Litchfield, Kentucky in March of 2011. So Holy literally- shit. Yes. While being investigated by the, by the FBI, fucking FBI, they committed two more of these fucking huge heists and like kind of got away with it for a time. Like- Obviously, they're building evidence the whole time against them, but still. Right, of course. But, like, I guess, you know, it is, it has to be hubris because I'm like, you get, you get away with, like, 
60 million, you know, let's, whatever. Fuck the 60 million. Fuck the 60 million. Say you get away with like a few million of uh, whatever the fuck, whatever you stole. Aren't you done? Yeah, right? Like, are you like, I got away with it? Cash out. Holy get the fuck, fuck out. Cash out. Go to Puerto Rico. Get a nice house on the water. Yeah. You know, uh, open a fucking fruit stand or some shit and just like, you know, you're like, ah, if I make money, I don't give a fuck. It actually doesn't matter. But just live like a chill life. I mean, that's what I would fucking do. Right? Not be like, I'm going to keep doing you know, the thing that puts the, me the at risk. The risk versus yeah. reward situation here is very not, because the house always wins. The house always wins. Yes. You know, if you win that jackpot, you cash out, you get the fuck out immediately. You're not like, you're not going to keep betting. Absolutely fucking not. No. 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 Take your winnings and go. Get the fuck out. Get a new name. Get a new social. <laughs> Seriously. Get the fuck out. Seriously. It's crazy to me. Crazy to me. That. <sighs> so that put them at basically like six multi-million dollar heist over yeah. the span of three years. Holy shit. Mm, 2009 to 2011. Two years. That's fucking wild. Crazy. Conspiracy to commit theft carries a maximum of five years in prison, and theft from interstate shipment carries a maximum of 10 years. However, considering the magnitude of these thefts, I'd yeah. say these guys actually got off rather light, all things considered. Ahmed Vila pleaded guilty to two counts of conspiracy to commit theft from an interstate shipment and five counts of theft from an interstate shipment. And on December 5th, 2016, the 51-year-old was sentenced to seven years of imprisonment, followed by five years of supervised release for his role in the theft of the pharmaceuticals from the Eli Lilly warehouse and for similar warehouse burglaries in Illinois, Virginia, Florida, and Kentucky. The individual cases for which were transferred to the District of Connecticut for further prosecution. Amar, I mean, these people kind of got off scot-free. They kind of got off really fucking light. Like seven years for like, they pulled off six of these fucking heists that were like, again, multi-million dollar heists. Yeah. And not that I think they should have gotten like life for this or anything. No, but, for sure. But you it's know, like, it still seems like a It's real light. It's real light. Especially, it's real light. And then the thing is, you know, one of the things I learned in Shawshank, being the guy who knows how to get something. Yep. It's very, and you know, these people know how to fucking get shit. Of course. And, and the clink, they're like, oh, yeah, I can get you cigarettes. Yeah, I got you. You know, they kind of really, I, I'm seeing this, they kind of super got away with it. Right? Like, why? You're like, I did seven years. Like, that's fine. I'll do it again. It's not your best seven years, but like, yeah. yeah. I'll bad. learn from my mistakes. I'll throw out my water bottle. <laughs> <laughs> I'll uh I'll check in I'll get a fake ID and a credit card instead of a fake name check in with those yeah yeah there you go we're helping you guys out we're not though we're not like legally we, we're yeah, not yeah. don't 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 put it don't subpoena us or any no. of that shit no 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 <laughs> <laughs> I was like stealing things was always wrong it's never fun or entertaining no no there's not countless movies you know and... anti-hero movies yeah. about it <laughs> nope Totally not. You know, John Dillinger and Bonnie and Clyde didn't make a whole career out of, nope. you know, this, like, folk hero shit. Yep. Robin Hood? Fuck that guy. Who, who? Fuck that guy. Yeah. Although Bonnie and Clyde were actually trash. Just, they, it's, yeah. It's all, the story's very, very romanticized. Actually trash people. Yeah. They were actually just murderers, like, straight up. Yeah, exactly. 
Amari Vila pleaded guilty to one count of conspiracy, four counts of theft from an interstate shipment, and one count of interstate transportation of stolen property. And on April 10th, 2015, the 40-year-old was sentenced to eight years of imprisonment, followed by three years of supervised release. The sentence is set to run concurrently with a 12-year sentence that Vila is serving on a related federal conviction. Yosmani Nunez, also known as El Gato, pleaded guilty to one count of transportation of stolen property, and on February 4th, 2015, the 42-year-old was sentenced to six years of imprisonment, followed by three years of supervised release. Alexander Marquez pleaded guilty to one count of transportation of stolen property, and on February 12th, 2015, the 41-year-old was sentenced to one year of imprisonment, followed by three years of supervised release. All four men were ordered to pay over $60 million in restitution. Damn. Yep. Rafael Lopez, on the other hand, who had only served as the lookout and had no previous criminal record, claimed he didn't know anything illegal was planned until the night of the break-in. Uh-huh. He was related to the Vila brothers by marriage and had owed Ahmed some money at the time. Ahmed told Lopez that he could pay the debt by driving him to Connecticut and helping him with a job. While he had been with Ahmed when he bought the tools, Lopez testified that at the time he believed the job had been legal. Prosecutors must have felt there was credence to this claim because they agreed to a plea that did not include any jail time for him. Okay. The FBI stressed the level of organization and sophistication of this multi-state cargo theft operation. From the expert way the security systems and alarms were disabled, to the years of evading authorities, to the sheer dollar amount of the stolen goods, the Vila brothers, with the others in their organization, orchestrated and executed the biggest pharmaceutical heist in U.S. history. It's also very possible that even with the work of Operation Southern Hospitality, that without the discarded water bottle and the brand new set of tools, these men could have possibly walked away scot-free. Yeah, man. So that is the crazy fucking story of the biggest pharmaceutical heist in U.S. history and your murder, violence-free, true crime story of the week. That was amazing. Good. I'm glad you liked it. Yeah, thanks so much for that. It was fucking wild. Of course. It was fucking crazy, right? Like, I never picture burglaries happening like this. Not not in recent times, no. And the fact that, yeah, this was so recent and seemed to be so prolific, and I, like, really didn't hear anything about it. Yeah, same. Kind of crazy to me. For sure. Um, You know, and if you take nothing else away from the story, throw out your trash. Throw out your trash. Don't leave it at places you commit crimes definitely don't do that a friendly reminder yeah just like fyi yeah that was amazing thank you so much yours i fucking love a celebrity ghost story fuck yeah fucking starts my day off right i you know i think so hell yeah that one was a great one yeah it's a fucking good one yours is great too thank you thank you guys so much for listening uh if you don't follow us already uh you can follow us on the gram at another fucking horror podcast you can find me at Pinapromo. You can find me at Lobotomy, and that's Lobot period Amy. Every six episode, we do a true listener tales episode, and we have one coming up, and it's among our favorite episodes. So you email us or DM us your like crazy, weird, what the fuck, personal stories, and then we read them. It's fucking rad. 
You can email us at another fucking horror podcast at gmail.com with a period instead of the U and fucking. Thanks so much for being rad. Thanks for listening. Keep it cute. Keep it creepy. Bye. Bye.